I told you last week that uh, February the 20th will be our Vision Sunday. So next Sunday morning, I need you to be here because I'm going to talk about the vision for 2022. And so, um, and these sermons I'm preaching on Sunday morning are pre-vision sermons to prep our heart for Vision Sunday on February the 20th. And so I'm asking you to come next Sunday morning to hear the vision that I believe that God has for this church for this year. You don't want to miss it. Please be here, all right? And so um, in these sermons I'm preaching, the series of sermons I started last week, these are pre-vision sermons to prep us for next week. So everybody shout, Vision Sunday, next Sunday. How many is going to be here next Sunday? All right, make sure that you're here next Sunday because we're going to have a wonderful time. As a matter of fact, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the vision all day, Sunday morning and Sunday night. We're going to celebrate the whole day. So you don't want to miss next Sunday and uh, as we prepare for what God wants to do. Now, tonight, we do have church. And I'm not a football fan. Uh, I know that there's a Super Bowl play in tonight. And, um, you know, I will probably never be a football fan, but that doesn't mean you can't be a football fan. And I know that you guys are loving football, and that's great. We decided to go ahead and have church tonight because a lot of people are not into that. And if you don't have plans and you're not celebrating and eating, the only thing i got to ask you to do is that if you're celebrating somewhere tonight and you're not at church, send me a picture of your food. All right? But, you know, and I understand that some of you, some of you have already made plans. I understand that. Uh, but, uh, but for those that are not doing something and you're not, you don't already have plans made, uh, we do have church tonight at 6 o'clock. All right? Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. And we welcome all of our guests today. Thank you for worshiping with us. I started a sermon series uh, on uh, last week called Just a Pile of Stones. Everybody say that with me. Just a pile of stones. Just a pile of stones. And the story comes from Joshua chapter 4. I can't review everything I started last week because it would really take a lot of time. And so we don't have that. And so uh, I want you to um, uh, go back and listen to it online as we, um, as we progress with the sermon today. Amen. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Open our ears and our hearts that we would receive your word. And everyone shout, Amen. Now, let me ask you an honest question today. How many of you today have problems in remembering things? Okay, maybe 20 of you. I said, how many has problems in remembering some things? All right, some of you have some problems in rem- How many's on medicine for it? And that's okay. All right. How many really has problems remembering some things? All right, so we got a few. How many has to write stuff down to remember it? Have you ever wrote some stuff down on a napkin? On your hand? How many's wrote on your hand before? How many's wrote on the back of church bulletins before? Uh-huh, yeah, see? I've done that before. You see, sometimes you have all those thoughts in your mind, and you've got to get it out and write it out so you don't forget it. But I think that all of us, including me, we all have trouble in remembering things. And uh, sometimes we have to do whatever we've got to do, to remember, so we write some things down. 
And so it also seems like as we get older, it's even worse to remember some things. You see, but, you know, I think, and, and sometimes I think in church we have spiritual amnesia. You know, sometimes we have problems in remembering what God did in previous years, and we become even discouraged. I'm telling you what, if you just go back in your memory bank and begin to remember what God has done for you, it really will help you in your present day right now. Amen? And so our nation, have you ever, have you ever realized that our nation has certain monuments throughout the land to remind us of some important events And also those monuments are there to preserve our national history. For instance, if you go to Washington, D.C., you will find the Washington Monument. There's also Pearl Harbor. There's also the 9-11 Memorial. And also the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. And that's just a small list of so many memorials that we have in the United States. Why does the United States have these memorials? Number one, they want to preserve our history. Number two, it represents a special day or event. And number three, they want to teach our future generations the legacy and the heritage of our great nation. Now, we even have holidays. The word holiday comes from a word which means holy day. And so we have certain holy days in America that we preserve, like Veterans Day is a holiday. The President's Day is a holiday, you know, and we can go throughout the list of certain holidays that we observe here in America. School children are out and certain government officials have the day off. That is not necessarily for you to have a day off, but for you to remember the importance of that particular event that occurred in history. We even have highways, streets, and towns named after people in our history. If you go down the streets and Main Street of Joplin, go off one of the streets, I, th- I think it's 7th Street, I'm not sure, but there is, there is the, the presidents. One president that I recall is Roosevelt Street here in Joplin, in Joplin, Missouri. The reason they've done that is they want to preserve our history. They want us to remember the great presidents of the United States. We have national parks to help us remember certain events in our nation. We have museums to preserve history, and we also have churches that will preserve histories. Have you ever noticed that certain churches and hospitals are named after certain people or certain saints that made a contribution to our society? St. John's in in Joplin was was a hospital named after a particular saint that did something extraordinary in our history. You see, my friends... Even our nation and even in church history, we have monuments to preserve our history and not only to preserve our history, but they, they serve as markers so that we can teach future generations. Even our holidays as Christians, we have several holidays that we celebrate as Christians, which is the two main ones is Christmas and Easter. Christmas commemorates the birth of Jesus, while Easter commemorates the death of Jesus. Actually, if you want to get technical, the church has a calendar that we should follow. 
And the reason we should follow a calendar is so that we teach our congregations a proper diet of the Word of God so that the preacher don't preach the same thing over and over and over again. Can I hear an amen? So in the church calendar right now, it's called ordinary time, which you should be preaching about the gospels, the miracles, the healings of Jesus Christ. And then, you know, we go to Lent, which is 40 days of preparation. Uh, The word Lent means spring. It prepares you for Easter. It's not a Catholic thing. It's a Christian thing. It prepares you 40 days before Easter. You celebrate Good Friday. Then you celebrate Uh, Easter, and then you go on to the next event, which is Trinity Sunday. So the purpose of that is to teach us certain things in the Word of God so that we don't forget the important milestones in the Bible. And so that's why we celebrate Christmas and Easter every year so that we can remember the story and so that we can preserve our history. And number three, so we can tell future generations the story of Christianity. That's why we have Christmas plays and Easter plays for our children to be involved in so that our children will remember in future generations what Christianity is all about. Now, I said all of that to say this. Why are you saying all of that, Pastor? Is because we do all those things, and the government has certain days and monuments, and the church has certain churches to preserve history and certain holidays so that we don't forget the important events and milestones that we should remember. Because we are a forgetful people. Once, one Sunday a month, we come to this table and we partake of communion And Jesus said, do this in memory of me, because Jesus knows that we will forget. So every time we take communion, it serves our memory. It jogs our memory of the importance of the passion and the death and the burial of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, uh, God was so concerned about his people forgetting that he wrote a whole chapter. Moses wrote a whole chapter in the book of Deuteronomy reminding his people not to forget. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 9, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but I will read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 9, hear the words of Moses as God was communicating to Moses concerning the people. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 4 and verse number 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep to yourself, lest you forget these things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and you teach them to your children and your grandchildren. You see, so God was saying to Moses, tell these people that they're going to forget, and they need to put certain monuments in their life so they don't forget. He went on to say in Deuteronomy chapter number 8 and verse number 11, the same issue. Deuteronomy chapter number 8 and verse number 11, hear the words of the prophet, Behold, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I have commanded you today. Least when you have eaten and you are full and you have built beautiful homes and you dwell in them. And when you have herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. And when your heart is lifted up, when you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Do you hear the word of the Lord? He says, you're going to dwell in beautiful homes. You're going to have good jobs. 
You're going to plant your vineyards. You're going to eat well. But in your prosperity, make sure you don't forget me. In your beautiful homes, make sure you don't forget me. As you're driving your new car, make sure you don't forget me. As you're wearing your nice clothes, make sure you don't forget me. Don't forget me in the times of prosperity. God brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He brought them out. Listen to me, church. He brought them out as slaves. He brought them out as peasants. And he brought them into a land that was flowing with abundance of food. And these people moved into this land and they built their homes. They married. They had children They wore their clothes, and in their prosperity, God said, please don't forget me. Don't forget what I've done for you, and please don't forget where I brought you from. And my friends, I believe that if we're not careful that we can suffer from spiritual amnesia, we can forget the days of struggle. We can forget the days that we struggled and didn't have enough money to pay our bills. You can forget the days that you didn't drive that car and you didn't live in that house and you struggled from job to job. And sometimes we can forget the Lord in our prosperity. And Moses is saying, God is saying to Moses, tell my people, don't forget me when they come into the land of abundance and they're doing well, don't forget me. And all my years of pastoring, that's one of the things that I see. People will run to the altars and they'll cry and bawl. And I love that. I want that to happen. And they will cry out to God in desperation because of their struggle. But when things go well and they become prosperous, somehow some people forget about God. You hear me? We can't forget about what God has done for us. The Bible says, I love this psalm in Psalm chapter number 23. It's a psalm that all of us have heard over and over. It's not a part of my sermon note, so I'm just going to read it to you. Psalm chapter 23, we've heard this over and over, but I want you to listen to what David says. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now listen to what David's saying here. He's saying, I'm going through a rough time. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. One time I was reading this scripture and the Holy Spirit illuminated something to me. In verse number four, he's in the valley of the shadow of death. You can't have a shadow unless there is some sort of light in the proximity somewhere. So even in the darkest times of your life, God somehow provides some sort of light somewhere to find your way out of the valley. Can I hear an amen? He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, my rod and my staff. You comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head. My cup runs over. Surely surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And all the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see what Do you see what David is doing? David went from a season of despair, and then he went into a season of prosperity, and then he ends the chapter by saying, but I'm going to dwell in your house forever. You see what David is saying? David is saying, I'm in the valley. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, and then that's that's the season of despair, the season of, of the wilderness, the season of darkness. Then he switches and says, but you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over, 
That's the season of abundance. Then he ends the chapter by saying, but I'm not going to forsake your house in my prosperity. Amen. Do you know why he is not going to forsake God's house even in his prosperity? Because he knows he would have never made it through the valley and he would have never had his cup to go overflow unless the Lord brought him through. Amen. We used to sing that old song growing up in church and I don't know the words of it, but the same God that's in in the valley is the same God that's on the mountaintop. He's the God of the valley and he's the God of the mountaintop. And I don't know about you, but I was praying the other day and uh, I don't know what God is doing in my heart. I, I don't know. But lately I have been sensing this incredible need to pray. Have you ever felt that before? It's like I'm, I, I'm eating my food. And I can't hardly get through my food because I'm thinking about I need to go to the church to pray. And so I feel this pull to pray. And I, don't, I just sometimes I just come and I don't know what to, I'm not saying that to get any accolades. I don't care about that. I'm just saying the Lord is doing something in my heart. And I've decided before the Lord sends revival to you, I want him to send revival to me first. And so I was praying and I went home and told Tiffany this. And as I was praying, and I just, I was meditating on the Lord and I felt like the Lord, Pastor Doug said to me, He says, you have had more, and I wrote it down, you have had more good days than bad days. You have more people that are with you than are not with you. You are more blessed than you could ever imagine and ever deserve. Your life isn't that bad. And I was beginning to think about that. Sometimes we get in a pity party thinking we don't have what we want. We don't have the job we want. We don't have the clothes we want. And there's nothing wrong with those things. And we don't have this. And we don't have this. And we don't go to the most. And we forget in the present moment how blessed we truly are. We forget how blessed we truly are. And I want to let you know, the Lord really ministered to me. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, as a pastor... Just like any other profession, you want to do your very best at. I want the church to be full. I want people to be hungry. I want people to go. You know, that's, that's my heart, of obviously. That's why I'm a pastor. I want people to grow. I want people, and you are growing, but this is my point. Sometimes I think, you know, maybe we, 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 we need to do this, and we need to do that. And I'm all about being creativity, be, being creative, and doing more things for the Lord. But I just had to stop in my prayer life and just thank the Lord. Lord, I thank you for the people I do have. And I thank you for the people that do want to serve. And I thank you for the people that do have a heart for you to serve. I thank you that we have a worship team. Some churches don't even have a worship team. I thank you that I have a pastoral staff. Some churches don't even have a pastoral staff. I thank you, Lord, that I have people that do want to give and do want to go and do want to come to church and do want to worship. I thank you, Lord, that I am more blessed than I could ever imagine. Sometimes you can focus on what you don't have and you can become discouraged. You see, the the balance is is not being content. You're not content. You You want more. You want to do more. But at the same time, I'm grateful as I look over my life and I look at what God is doing. Because listen, Jonah was thrown into the belly of a fish. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah, when he was in the belly of a fish, oh, hallelujah. Y'all with me today? Can I just go off the script and preach a little bit? 
And I may not even be preaching to you. I'm really preaching to myself because he's blessed me more than I could ever imagine. So the Lord did something in my heart. I said, Lord, I have, I have been ungrateful and unthankful. I come to church and I want more and more and more and more and more. And I haven't stopped to thank you for what you've already done in my life. Help me to never go through my life always wanting more and never stopping you. Like those, like, like those ten lepers, only one of them came back to give you thanks. I want my thanksgiving to be bigger than my shopping list. I want my praise of thanksgiving to be louder than in my shopping list. I just want to stop a little bit to tell you, thank you for what you've done for me. I've found somebody who is thankful and grateful and appreciate when, when they're appreciative. It's easy to celebrate other people's victories when, when you have a heart like that. I, uh, I'm just going to read this scripture to you that the Holy Spirit is bringing my attention to because it's so good. I want to read it to you in the book of Jonah. You don't have to turn there, and and it's not even on my sermon, so I'm just going to read it to you, all right? Jonah chapter 2. I want you to see here. Jonah chapter, you know the prophet Jonah. He rebelled against the Lord, went the opposite direction, and when you rebel against the Lord, you get yourself in trouble. But thank God, God's always merciful to us. The Bible says in Jonah chapter I think, yeah, Jonah chapter number uh, 2. Jonah's thrown into the belly of the fish. And, uh, and I want you to see here what Jonah begins to do. And Jonah begins to pray here. And I love this. Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says he cried to the Lord because of his affliction. And the Lord answered him out of the belly of Shiloh. And he cried and the Lord heard his voice. Now look at him. Verse number four, he said, I've been cast out of your sight. Jonah, I mean, is in the belly of the fish. He's all the way down into the belly. Verse number five, Jonah chapter two, verse five, he says, the waters have surrounded my soul. The deep has closed up around me. He says, I even have weeds around my head. Verse seven, when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your, into your temple. And the Bible says, verse number nine, look at this. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Now look at the context. Verse number nine. Listen, he's in the belly of the fish. He has weeds wrapped around him. He doesn't, he's in the darkness of the belly. Have you ever been there before? In the darkness of a situation, can't see your way out. He's in the belly of the fish. And all of a sudden, Jonah has a change of heart. And the Bible says in verse number nine, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Verse number 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. I just want to say, say this. I'm going to praise you with a voice of thanksgiving. Verse number 10, the Lord delivered him. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to worship you with a voice of thanksgiving, and the Lord delivered him. I may be in verse number 9, 
but my verse is going to change when I change my language. When he began to change how he felt, the Lord delivered him from the belly of the fish. I'm telling you, you complaining about it, you griping about it, you saying you don't have enough and you wish you were here and wishing you were there and you wish you had this, and that's not going to solve anything. God only moves upon people who have a grateful and appreciative heart, just like a parent wants to give more to a child who is more appreciative, even though they love both of them, you are more apt to give to the one who is more appreciative of what you're doing for them. And I don't want to, I don't want God to look down and say that, that son of mine, all he's doing is asking, 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 and he's never stopped to thank me one time for everything I've done for him. And I just want to stop right here up in this Pentecostal church, and I want to have a Thanksgiving party because I don't want to go throughout the rest of the day and I'm sure not going to give the sports team tonight more praise than I'm going to give this morning. So I'm going to stand right up in this building because a football can't deliver me. A football can't save me. Come on, somebody. I'm going to stand up in this house and I'm going to give him glory for what he's done. My Thanksgiving list is going to be bigger than my shopping list. The Lord spoke to him and vomited Jonah up out of dry ground. I'm blessed more than I could ever deserve. God said to Moses, tell your people, don't forget. Don't forget me when they get blessed. Don't forget. And one of the ways that God would remind his people... God would remind his people throughout the scriptures, and I've said this last week, and I can't go into it, but one of the things that God would say to his people, when God would do something in the Bible, God would say to the leader or to the person, I want you to put some stones there. And those stones are to represent what I did at that particular moment in time and space. And you go throughout the Old Testament and you will find people erecting stones, erecting altars, and God would put his name there. If you look at the book of Genesis, God would tell you to Abraham, Abraham, take your son up to Mount Moriah. I want you to sacrifice your son. But you know he never sacrificed his son. God provided a ram in the thicket. But God says, I want you to call that place Moriah the place of where my salvation will be seen. You see, that's what God did. God throughout the Old Testament would erect memorials to his name so that his people would not forget. And I want to ask you something, church. Do you have any memorials in your life? Or do you have any stones in your life? Last week I shared with you some stones that I have, some journals. I wrote down some testimonies so that I can look back and see what God has done for me. I can look back 20 years ago and see my struggle and see what I was thinking and see what God did in my life. Those are stones. Those are stones. Do you have any stones in your life? It's a shame. You see, it's a shame that our children nowadays, some of them don't have any stones they have an iPhone, and there's nothing wrong with an iPhone. They have an iPad. They have all the gadgets and toys of modern America. But does your children have any stones? 
Do they have any testimonies? Can they pass on some testimonies to their children? I remember when my dad and mom didn't have money to pay the bills, but I remember my dad praying and God came through. Do they have a stone to remember? Do they have any stones that they could pass on to the next generation? Or are we passing on toys? Are we passing on things that don't have an eternal value? There's nothing wrong with those things. But what I am saying to you is as parents, we got to make sure, and as a pastor, we got to make sure that we pass on stories to the next generation. That's what those stones were. When those people saw those stones, it was to remind them of what God did at that particular moment. For instance, you'll find in the book of Joshua, Joshua, that's what Joshua wanted to do. That's what God wanted to do. Joshua chapter number 4, verse number 6, the God was bringing the children of Israel out of the land of bondage. And the very first thing they had to do, they had to cross a river. They had to cross the Jordan River to get to the land that God wanted them to go to. But before they got to the land, they had to cross the river. But you see, when God, God did a miraculous sign there, he, he dried up the river. And then God says, I want you to put some stones there because those stones are going to be a memorial to future generations that it was me that dried up the river for you. It was no one else. The gods of wood, hay, and stubble could never do that for you. The gods of Baal could never do that for you. The Middle Eastern gods could not do what I did for you, Israel. I am the one that dried up the Jordan River, and I was the same God that drew uh, that, that dried up the Red Sea for your ancestors. I did it for your grandma, I did it for your granddad, and I'm going to do it for you, Joshua. I am the same God that did it for your ancestors when they went through the Red Sea, and I'm going to do it for you, Joshua. And make sure you put some stones there so that you can tell future generations it was me that did it. Do you have any stones? Do you have anything that you can pass on to your children? Do you have any testimonies that you can tell your children about what God did? Is there any, uh, is any of you have any testimonies when you were in the darkest night of your life and you didn't think that you could make it? You have it in your heart. It's not just in your heart to be in your heart. You need to pass it on to the next generation. You need to be telling stories to your children about what God has done in your life. See, Joshua chapter number 4, verse 16, that this will be a sign. What? These stones, that they may be a sign among you that when your children ask, When your children ask in these times to come, look at verse 6. When they ask in these times to come, Verse 6, Joshua chapter 4, verse 6, that this will be a sign among you that when your children ask in times to come, what does these stones mean? The Bible says in verse 7, then you will answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off by the ark of the covenant and we crossed over and these stones shall be a memorial to future generations. In other words, when you come back to this place and you see these stones, your children are going to ask you, Daddy, what are these stones for in the Jordan River? And you can say, well, son, years ago, I remember our pastor, Pastor Joshua, 
His pastor was Moses. God worked great miracles for Pastor Moses at the Red Sea. I remember Miriam taking a tambourine, dancing across the dry ground, and thousands of us danced on dry ground as we crossed over the Red Sea. And as we looked behind us, the Egyptians was far behind us, but we knew that the same God that dried up the Red Sea is the same God that's going to defeat the Egyptians that day. And my friend, my son, you know what God did? God drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea and we crossed over. Even though we were rebellious and wondered for 40 years, God provided some manna. He gave us water from a rock. He was a fire by day and a cloud by night. He always took care of us. Those were my ancestors, son. But you see, I remember a few years ago, our pastor Joshua, he took up the vision again and decided that he was going to lead us on to the promised land, but we had an obstacle. We had a Jordan River, and it was at harvest season. The Jordan River was overflowing, and we knew within ourselves we couldn't cross the Jordan River because we were drowned. But we remember what God did for our ancestors, how we dried up the Red Sea, and Joshua told us the story of what God did years ago that gave us faith and confidence to believe that God would do it again. The same God that did it for them at the Red Sea is the same God that can do it for me at the Jordan River. And my son, when the priest touched the water, it began to, it began to form two walls just like it did at the Red Sea. And we walked across on dry ground as the Levites held up the Ark of the Covenant and they blew the trumpets. The presence of the Lord went before us and we began to rejoice that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know about you. I got some stories my grandparents told me, but I don't know about you. I'm living the story right now. So me and Tiffany can tell our children that the same God that brought us out and the same God that did miracles at Christ's point is the same God that will do it for you now. I don't want my children to be more concerned about an Xbox and an iPhone and an iPad instead of hearing about the stories. One of the favorite things I loved to do when my grandparents were living, I loved to sit in the living room with my granddad and grandma and aunts and uncles, and they'd get the guitar out, and they'd begin to play those old songs. And they'd get on the piano, and they'd begin to sing the old hymns. And I would sit there and listen to them for hours because they would sing together, and they would talk about their mother. Their mother is my great-grandmother, who was the pastor of a Pentecostal church. And I remember them talking about stories of how Grandma Goldie used to get up and shout and sing and how the power of God was so strong. My grandma said one night after Grandma Goldie was done preaching she was speaking in tongues for three hours. They couldn't get her to stop. They put her in the car and took her home and she spoke in tongues all the way to the car and they put her in bed and she was still speaking in tongues. Those were the stories that I grew up on. But we live in a generation where our children are so pampered, they don't have stories because we give them everything they want. They don't know how to believe God. They want it right now. Give it to me right now. They don't know what it means to believe God for food. They don't know what it means to believe God for something. They don't know what it means to tarry at the altar and pray until your heart comes out of your mouth. As we live in a culture where we're more concerned with artificial stones than we are with real stones. 
We're more concerned with plastic and paper stones than we are with real stones. See, these stones, number one, I said last week they were, and listen, church, I'm not against toys and iPhones. I have one. I'm not against that. I'm saying the important thing is, is, is to prepare our children to carry on Christianity to the future generations. There's nothing wrong with toys, just as long as we've got our priorities straight, right? We've got to make sure we carry Christianity. We've got to make sure we perpetuate the story, keep the story going, pass down the stories of what it means to trust God and to believe God and to believe God at prayer. One of my greatest things is I want my child, my wife is pregnant, I want my child not to know me as a great preacher or a great pastor. I want them to know me as a man of prayer. I want them to hear stories from my lips about how God provided for me when I had nobody else to provide for. I want them to hear stories of how God sustained me when I felt like I couldn't be sustained myself. It's those stories that mean the world. You see, these are movements. These stones represented movements of God in life. At this stone, I'm going to be called Jehovah Rapha. At this place, I'm Jehovah Nissi. At this place... The Lord is my salvation. All throughout the Old Testament, God was erecting stones to remind his people, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Number two, remember I said last week that when they cross over the Jordan, it was the harvest season, number two. It was the harvest season. That means the waters were overflowing already. So God did his best work in difficult times. They crossed the river when it was difficult, but that's the way God works. God always works in our difficult moments. So if you're here and you feel like you've exhausted your resources, I want to let you know that you're a perfect candidate for God to move in your life. Number three, my point today is this. I'm only going to do one point. It's interesting to me Joshua 4, verse 9. I never saw this before. It's interesting to me when you read the scriptures what you will discover. And I saw something I never saw before. But before before you go home, I want you to get it. Joshua chapter 4, verse 9. I want you to see what happens here. Joshua chapter 4, verse 9. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bore the Ark of the Covenant, and they stood, and they're there to this day. Get this. The stones were erected twice. Now, if you read the beginning of the story, there's stones that were erected in Gilgal, because that was just right over the Jordan. So they erected a a monument there to remember what God did. But also, the other set of stones were erected in the Jordan River. So when the priests came forward and they touched the river and the river parted, There was dry ground. Joshua told the men, get the 12 stones and build it right in the middle of the Jordan River. Now, hold on. Why get so excited with the word? Is this all right? Why 
do you build a memorial? Why do you put a pile of stones in the river? Now, you could see it when they're walking on dry ground, right? But after the water comes back, what's the purpose of it? Because according to commentaries, most, they most believed that the stones, and I looked at it online, some of the stones are even still there to this day, which is interesting. The stones were very, very tall. So you could almost see the stones in the river above the waves. So when the waves got high in the Jordan River, you could see the tops of the memorial stones in the river. And you know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me? He said, I'm going to read to you. Son, when you feel like that you are in over your head in the waves, I just want to let you know, just look over in the river. You can see the tops of the stones. And the stones remind you that even in the darkest times of your life, even when the waves are high, all you need to do in the water is to look at the stones. The stones will be a memorial, a reminder that I'm going to bring you out of the waves. I'm going to bring you out of the waters. I'm going to bring you out of the fire. I'm going to bring you out of what's So when you find yourself, when you find yourself in the waters of life, in the valley of life, when you find yourself in a situation that you don't know whether you can get through or not, all you need to remember is some stones that you've already planted. You know what the Lord is saying? Plant some stones in your difficult seasons of your life. And when you find yourself in a difficult season, you need to find the stone and say, those stones remind me that God brought me out of that difficulty before, and he will bring me out of some difficulty now. Listen, what are we doing as a church in this vision month, this vision Sunday? We're building some stones for our future generations. What are we doing? This building is a stone. My life is a stone. My testament, I'm building some stones in my life because I'm going to pass it on the future generations. I want people to drive by this building when I'm dead and gone and say, God did something in that church in 2022. I want them to look over to their little baby in the car, in the car seat, and say, let me tell you what God did at Christ's point in 2022. Let's build some stones together.